Well, let me cover what, as briefly as I can now back to what we discussed in Sunday school and church. First of all, we're back to all these great things that took place before this time of the Gibeonites. Those things that happened on the west side, I mean the east side of Jordan, and then on the west side of Jordan. Those things that happened in the red, opening of the Red Sea. All these things. The fall of Jericho. The fall of Ai. And now they come to the place where the Gibeonites are next in line and they are scared to death like they were in Jericho, by the way. Rahab the harlot acted like all of Jericho was trembling. I saw some little film about uh, Jericho falling, some Christian little film, and it was like they were partying and all that. Listen, they were not partying. According to the testimony of Rahab the harlot, they were scared to death. But they trembled unto damnation. For only Rahab the harlot and her family were preserved. None of them were preserved in Ai, which was next. None of them preserved in over there in Zihon and Og on the other side of the river. And yet the Gibeonites, praise God, it's number five too, and five is the number of grace. The Gibeonites, the Hittites, over there, they were scared to death. And they trembled unto salvation, like Paul did. Felix trembled unto damnation. But the Gibeonites, like Paul, they trembled unto salvation. I've seen people, not too often, but I've seen people holding on to their pew and just trembling under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to see more of that. But I have seen a little bit of it. But they trembled unto salvation. And though they came and they lied about their, their food and they said we were a great way off, yet they got the favor of Joshua, who is our Jesus. Because Joshua means Jesus. It means Savior. The Old Testament Hebrew word Joshua, that's the same as Jesus in the Greek. And he means Savior. And Joshua was their Savior. And yet it was the God of Joshua, the Christ of Joshua, who was their Savior. And Jesus is our Savior. And thank God I trembled on the salvation one day. And then we went over the fact that after, as soon as they got saved by Joshua, they found out they were only three days away. I mean, three days later, they found out they were right around the corner. They were their neighbors. And they promised them they made a covenant with them. And when God makes a covenant with you, He'll keep His covenant. Thank God for grace. This is great grace. Amazing grace. Stupendous grace. All-powerful grace. Undeserved grace. The Gibeonites deserve to die and go to hell just like the other 31 nations on the West Bank died. And just like the other two on the East Bank of Jordan died. They all died. But the Gibeonites were spared because they came with repentance. They came with trembling. They came to the right one, the one who had the, who had the ability to have them slain or saved. And thank God He favored them. 
So when they found out they were right around the corner, they said, we, we don't want the judgment and wrath of God on us because we're not going to keep our word. We'll make them hewers of wood and the carriers of the water for all the children of Israel. We'll make them our servants, our slaves, mind you. Amen? And we'll also make them hewers of wood and carriers of water for the altar, for the tabernacle, for the, the worship of God. And they didn't care. All they wanted was life. They didn't care if they were slaves. That's better than death. And so, here they are. And then what does God do? We covered the second thing, and I'll try to cover that quickly, and then we'll get into the third one. The second thing is, we preached on in the morning service, is that after God saves you, He doesn't leave you on the doorstep. He doesn't forsake you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is for the saved person. That's the promise of the Master. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us forever. He cannot forsake his own. The Bible says, Can a mother forget her suckling child? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. I've graven thee upon the palms of my hand. Listen, we're his forever. Glory be to God. I'm not hanging on to God. He saved me and came in and took up his residence right in this very body, and he's not leaving. He came to stay. And he's going to take care of us, and he's going to protect us when these five kings, here five kings come up against them. They're the fifth nation, and they receive mercy, and now five kings come up against the newly converted, the newly saved four cities. Gibeon, Kerjath, Jerem, and the other two cities that are not named in the Scriptures. They're spared. They're given as servants. The Bible said they were mighty people too, mighty men. So what happens? Just as soon as you get saved, all the devil's crowd comes against you. And they, they ran to their Savior, like we run to our Jesus. They ran to Joshua and said, save us, help us, save us. And do you think he heard? Oh, yes, he always hears. He always answers. He's always there when we need him. He's our protector. He's our guide. He's our sustainer. Our protector against the evils and the wiles of the devil. But the Bible says the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, he cannot take our soul, for we're saved forever, but he can take our testimony. And he could, uh, if God allowed him to, he could take our life too. He could. But as we said, you're invincible until God's through with you. And so what happens? Then all these five kings go up against him, and God, through Joshua, God, Joshua says, Sun, stand still. And it stood still for a whole day. And didn't go down for a whole day, so that they could finish off the rest of the enemies of Gibeon. Joshua took care of them. Amen? Sun stood still. The moon didn't move. By the way, I was, I was thinking about that. Did the whole universe stop? I don't know. I know one thing that there in, in Egypt for three days it was such darkness you couldn't, 
It, some people will try to explain that by an eclipse, I'm sure. You don't need to explain all these things by normal, natural phenomena. These are miracles. And that was a miracle for three days of darkness right at the command of Moses in Egypt and the three days at Calvary when the earth quaked and when His resurrection came and out of the ground He came. Praise God! Up from the grave He arose! There was a great earthquake that day, the Bible says. Great earthquake. Don't relegate all the miracles to some stupid phenomenon of science and all that. God, God is a miracle-working God. Don't try to figure out how a, a whale swallowed a man today. I tell you, God had that whale ready for Jonah right when he wanted him there. Someone says, well, it says in another part of the Bible it was a great fish. It was a great fish whale, the Bible tells me. Jesus called it a whale. It's a whale. In the Old Testament it said a great fish. It's a great fish too. Amen. Say, well, a whale is a mammal and it's not a fish. I said it's a whale fish. I don't care what these scientists say. Well, a whale is a mammal. It produces milk for us. I said, I don't care what science says. I care what my Bible says. Such a foolishness. Amen? I'll tell you before God, a man is an ignoramus that tries to go up against my Creator. He needs to throw away his foolishness. And they say in science, though, that there's a day missing Somewhere that 24-hour, close to that, about a day, the sun didn't go down. And it was all because God wanted to protect His newly saved ones, the Gibeonites. Isn't God good to save us and then to be so good to protect us? I mean, all of Israel came out and helped them stand against these. And God, it says, God threw great rocks, hailstones, great stones out of heaven, hailstones, the hail, and he killed more with the hailstones than with the sword of Israel. Because God is against our enemies. God is for us. If God be for you, who can be against you? So my Bible says, and then we come to this chapter in the Bible that tells us it's uh, 21 of Second Samuel. Find your place there, and we'll go on for the third part of the story. Isn't this exciting? Isn't it moving? Isn't it great to know that He's a, such a, a wonderful, loving Savior and merciful to those who deserve to be in hell, deserve to be punished for their sin, and we're just like the Gibeonites. There's not a Jew in the place. Not a true blue Jew in the place. I can tell by the way most of you look. There's not a Jew here. <laughs> Amen? And he loved us anyhow. We're all a bunch of dogs and swine, according to the Old Testament economy. But he loved dogs and he loved swine. Amen? We're all half-breeds around here near about. But grace prevailed. Amen? Grace prevailed for the Samaritan woman and grace prevailed to you and I. Thank God for this amazing grace. But then something happens. About 40 years later, after all this takes place, and here the Gibeonites, 
for 40 years are serving God in their slavery, their servant position. But they're up close to the altar of God as well as working in the households of the people. It's mentioned in the Scriptures over and over again that they, they became the Nethanims. The Nethanims. And they were the servants there at the altar. And who knows but that they'd become very close to God. For their service was close to God. They were to help out the priests, it says in another portion of Scripture. These Gibeons. People from Gibeon. These Gibeonites. By the way, Solomon offered sacrifices there at Gibeon. And Solomon had his dream there at Gibeon. I'm not so sure, but that one of the cities of refuge was not in Gibeon or in one of those other cities. And then just numerous things were talked about about Gibeon. I'm telling you. God's coming down and speaking to you. The tabernacle, by the way, I didn't mention that, did I? The tabernacle was there at Gibeon. That's the place where God met with His people. The tabernacle. And so Gibeon, they, they, they were, I think they were kind of joyful and happy to serve. My wife and I were discussing that this afternoon. And you know what? Our, our plight and our problem in our churches across America is some people aren't willing to just serve. They want, their, they want to run everything. And they're not qualified either by this or that. They're not qualified by age. I told my wife this afternoon, I'm not interested in some uh, 17, 18, 19, or 20-year-old telling me what he thinks and how I'm wrong about anything in regard to the Bible. I'm 58 years old. Now, if they come up with the right attitude, I'm willing to listen to anybody because I'm wrong a great deal. In fact, to tell you the truth, I drove in tonight and somehow we've got to change this parking out here. I think I got it wrong. I, we planned it so that we could uh, pick up the, and drop the bus off and the bus would go around and drop off. But to tell you the truth, the more normal way to pull into a parking lot is to pull in on this side. So, Pastor Hammonds, it's all up to you. I messed them up and you're going to have to straighten them out. Okay? Because I don't know how I'll get them to change the other way. Now, don't start doing it all at one time. We, I mean, we've got to do it all together. But I'm not trying to say I'm a great big somebody. I make a lot of mistakes. But I'm just telling you, some novice does not need to come up and start rebuking an elder. I don't have time for that. And too many of our people who are not qualified by age and other reason, they want to be instructing everybody in the church, no, you just take care of yourself. You've got enough trouble just taking care of yourself and your own. Amen? A boy king is not a good idea. And a female king is a worse idea. Oh, anyhow. Okay. So, anyhow, we need to just do what the Bible says. And so... Uh, I don't know what that was for. But anyhow, there was a famine for three years. Three seasons, it didn't rain properly, and they didn't, weren't getting a crop. Now, it's strange that it took three years for David to find out. By the way, you can miss one season and not get much rain, and you'll be, you can pretty well fare halfway sensibly, because usually the next year you'll get some rain. But this says that it happened three years in a row. Did you read that in the first verse? Let's read it. This is in 21 of 2 Samuel 21. 
Then there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul, for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. What do you think of that? And the king David calls the Gibeonites and said, what should we do about this? God spoke to me. By the way, it's strange that it took him three years to listen, but some of us are, are uh, remiss at times and we're a little slow at gathering that we should pray for rain. He waits for the third year and they're starting to not have so much food after three years of no rain. It kind of gets concerning. There's no crops, there's no barley, there's no wheat, there's no nothing if you don't have rain. And so David goes and he inquires of the Lord like anyone ought to. And the Lord made it very plain. He said it is because Saul, did, he broke the covenant that, that God had made with Joshua 40 years or more earlier probably. Many of these people had already died and already forgot about how Saul was so terrible. You know, Saul had killed the priests at Nob. You remember that? First of all, here's a couple things that Saul had done. This was the first king of Israel before David. And what he did is he, God said, go up to Amalek and, and I want everything that's there, I want it all dead. I, want it, I don't want any, it's so wicked, the Amalekites. Amalek is a type of the flesh. They came up behind Israel as they came out of Egypt's bondage. And Saul did not obey the Lord. By the way, he, he didn't wait also, and he went and offered himself. He intruded into the priest's office, Saul, and he was of the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, David was of the tribe of Judah. But David or Solomon could not offer the sacrifices. You had to be a Levite. You had to be born right. Amen. To be a priest today, you've got to be born right too. You've got to get born again to be a believer priest, whether you're a child or whatever. But anyhow, he didn't do right in slaying Agag. He's, and then uh, Samuel came, you remember, he said, What meaneth the lowing? Uh, uh, and Saul said, I've performed the, the word of God. And Samuel said, How is it there's the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? I told you to kill everything. In that instance, God said, I don't want even the animals living. God can do what he wants with animals. All these extreme, extreme, extreme. Now, I'm a dog lover too, amen. I've got one in my backyard. His name is Pugly. He's a pug and he's as ugly as anything you've ever seen. He's just like the Gibeonites. He's ugly to God and everyone else. He's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. But he's got the biggest heart. He jumps all over you. I had to change from my nice suit this morning and get into my old things. I knew he was going to jump all over me to try to go out and make sure he, that the fence was, uh, something was over the fence so he wouldn't get out and we'd be chasing after him all day and I couldn't get my rest this afternoon. The dog is the ugliest thing you've ever seen. So he was a pug, so they called him Pugly. Pugly. But he's such a dear dear dog. He's so loving. The kids, you can about beat him up and he still is so sweet to children. Well, anyhow, I, I, that, that was planned in my message this morning. I just never got to Pugly, but we got to him tonight, finally. The Gibeonites 
were just as ugly as could be and we were ugly to God until He washed us with His blood and made us beautiful inside. He loved us when we were unlovely. He loved the Gibeonites when they were unlovely. And so Saul, by the way, he would not kill those he should kill. Instead, Saul, getting back to Saul, he killed the priests on Nob Hill. Killed many, many, many priests. Some think that he went beyond killing the priests and their families. And that he possibly, at that time, went on and started killing the Gibeonites. Which were promised the protection of God by covenant. By Joshua. Maybe Saul was trying to take the pride that was taken away from him because he didn't kill Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and he spared the best of the sheep, the spoils, when God said, destroy it all. We don't know. But we know one thing the Bible tells us that he killed. He killed and tried to annihilate all the Gibeonites that Joshua had saved, that Almighty God had saved, that Jesus had saved by His grace and protected to such a fashion that He caused the sun to stand still and threw hailstones, killing their enemies. And Saul was so against God because of offering up the sacrifices that only the Levites should and by not killing Agag and the Amalekites by sparing the spoils and then by killing the priests. And now he goes and kills those that God said will be protected by covenant. He went against the covenant of God, Saul did. And so 40 years later, God says, God sends a famine for three years. By the way, you get this idea in your head. If our leaders in America do not do God right and we don't start getting rid of these perverts, Hello? We don't get start being stronger with our courts and getting rid of these murderers. Cold-blooded murderers. Premeditated murderers like Saul. And God could, in fact, cause havoc with all of us because they will not do right. Listen, it's in the Bible, all over the Bible. David sent Uriah the Hittite out and he died and men died with him because David the king, at his command, he covered up and tried to cover up his sin and people were killed. And the sword never left David's house because of it. Here, 40 years later, 40 plus years later, and God says, I'm just going to not send any rain for three years. I'm going to get your attention. There needs to be atonement made for the wicked sin of Saul. God is a God of atonement, appeasement. Some people say, oh, your God's an angry God. My God is an angry God, but He's a loving God too. It's just all in the way you look at it. And the wrath of God's gone for me. Amen. He's going to spank me when I don't do right at times, but He's not going to send me to hell. I'm His forever. He deals with me as a son. He loves me. He still wants me to do right, but He loves me. I'm in the family. And He protects me. Well, Saul did not care about breaking this covenant with the people, nor with the whole nation. He tried to annihilate all the Gibeonites. So God sends a famine for three, didn't rain for three years. Lack of rain, lack of crops, 
He gets David's attention. He goes to the Gibeonites. David says, what do you want us to do? And you know what they said? They said, we don't care about any of their silver. We don't want any silver. We don't want any gold. They're slaves, friends. All we want, it was Saul that did this to us and Saul's family that did this to us. We want seven men. Give us seven of Saul's sons or grandsons and we want to hang them up. You know what? It must have been God that put it in their hearts because David readily gave them these different ones. Now, he did not allow them to have Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, because he had had a covenant and a promise to him. But the Bible says that there were two sons of Saul's wife, Rizpah, and they hung him up. And then there were five others, which were the sons of Meribah, and Meribah was the, was the first daughter of Saul that should have been given and was promised to David. What do you think of that? God keeps the record. And by the way, though a son should not bear the iniquity of the father, neither should the father bear the iniquity of the sons, it still stands true that the sins of the fathers fall down under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. If a, if a father's a terrible drunk and he's, he's part of the mafia, good likelihood his sons and maybe even his grandsons will get involved with it before it's all over with and they'll all be killed. Because we need to live right. Be an example to our children. Anyhow, so they deliver up the seven of them. Now, the, the, the Jewish law was you to cut them down. Jesus was hung on a cross too. He was hung on a tree. For us, he bore his, our sins in his body on the tree. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This was a despicable way to die. And yet they were to take them down, according to Jewish law, they were to take them down off the cross, off of the tree, mind you, at, at uh, dusk, whenever the sun went down, you're to get them off the tree and bury them. Well, they didn't do this. Maybe because they wanted them to stay on the tree, as Matthew Henry says, until the rain came. <laughs> For they needed some rain. Some others say that they just left them up there to make sure that people knew that even if you're the son of a king and have great wealth and power, you, you will be dealt with in the same fashion as the poorest of the poor. For God respecteth not persons of men. He's no respecter of persons. They left them up there, hanging there, seven men. And they didn't take them down. And their mother, the mother of two, Rizpah. Let's look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10, this is very moving. Here's a mother's involvement. Here it is. I'm on the wrong chapter. Let me get over to verse 10. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aha, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon a rock, the rock, from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered 
neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day or the beast of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, Ai, the concubine of Saul had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Beth-Shan, where the Philistines had hanged them. When the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa, and he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged, these seven. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zela, in the sepulcher of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Kish his father, and they performed all that the king commanded, and after that, God was entreated for the land. Well, God requires atonement. Blood for blood. And what did He say? What did He say earlier? What did He say earlier in verse number 1 of 21? It says, It is for Saul for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. God says blood for blood, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, blood for blood, life for life. Life for life. God still requires atonement. And we all had sinful blood and He made the atonement in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blood for blood, life for life. He gave His life he gave his soul an offering for sin. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He, he bore our punishment at Calvary. And so the atonement was made and the land was healed. What it means there is the rain sure enough came, didn't it? But can't you see Rizpah out there? These are her boys. She was a concubine of Saul, the secondary wife of Saul. And she said, those are my boys, and I don't want the birds to peck their bodies apart. And I don't want the, the beasts of the field coming and taking my boys and taking their arm off here and their hand off here and all these uh, beasts, these birds. And so she stayed out there. She stayed out there for weeks, maybe months, says to the rain came. <laughs> Shows a loving mother. David had a good heart. David heard about it. By the way, sometimes actions are better than words. She didn't go and ask anybody. She just stayed out there. Someone said, hey, she's going to die out there. I'm living out there in the, in the elements by a rock to keep the birds off her son. And it was used of God to remind David that Saul and Jonathan, Jonathan was, they were had great love and compassion one for another. And see, Jonathan, you know a lot of times you die for the sins of others around you. Don't forget, Jonathan was a good, godly man. He was always with David. But he died with his father. And his brothers died in that battle. And so here, here we have the record of his, this mother, this concubine of Saul, 
She gets the attention of the king. And the king says, go get the body of Saul and get the body of Jonathan and the bones of them. And after all these years, and get, get all the others, get all of them, all these seven, and take them down off the tree and give them a proper burial and bury them in the place where King Saul should be buried. He was the one who hounded David, but he still had compassion. I like David. He had, he had compassion. Though he took the head off of Goliath, he had compassion for his enemy Saul. And he had compassion for Mephibosheth, the son of Saul. He said he cannot be hung on that tree. He was a fallen one. He, his nurse dropped him as they were running, and he was lame of his feet down in Lodibar. And he said, I've made a covenant with him, and he's going to eat at my table all his days. And though the blood of Saul's relatives are required, Mephibosheth will not die. I tell you, David had the final say in this whole thing. And he says, what we need to do after all this, here's a loving mother out here, and we'll just have to give him a proper burial and put him right there where they ought to be with her father, grandfather Kish, Saul's father. Well, I wonder, are you merciful and forgiving like our God, like David? I wonder, are you mothers that true to your sons? That you'd stay out there in the elements because you didn't want to see them picked apart by the birds even after they're dead and rotting. There was the love of the mother. Thank God for loving mothers. Got the attention of the king. It got him a proper burial at, at, at the end. Well, you say, what's the moral to the whole story? Be sure your sin will find you out in grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Thank God. We have a great Savior. He has great forgiveness, great love for you and I. Thanks be to God. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Aren't you glad that though you were ugly and they could have called you pugly, we were so ugly inside. But the Lord, the Lord just straightened us out, didn't he? And put his love inside and his exuberance, that dog, and his love and licking you to death and everything, it makes up for his ugly looks. It makes him beautiful. It makes him the most friendly thing I've ever seen. I said, if anybody ought to want a dog in their house with kids, it ought to be Pugly. I've never seen him one time snap at anybody. Now, if he'd get old like me, he might do that. But at this point, he's so young and so full of vitality. I said, stay down, Pugly. He went around just before the service. I put him from in the house they're out there in the backyard and took him through the house that dog was nuts was everywhere he got me tangled up and he's so excited about being excited some of us need some of that he's just excited about life or anything that we'd have some vigor amen for the Lord aren't you glad you're saved tonight 
All the imps and demons in hell can't change it either. I'm his and he's mine. And I'm not going to be like some Christians and endure my Christian experience. It's a joy to be a Christian. I just love the Lord. I just love, you know, the song says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I come to the garden alone. Isn't it a joy to walk with the Lord every day? No, our sins are gone. We have new life in Christ. He's going to protect us. He's going to guide us. He may, 40 or 50 years from now, take vengeance on people that mistreated us now. For my God changeth not. You say, well, would God do that now? <laughs> He's the same God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God does what He wants, and He still requires an atonement. These homosexuals and perverts and these gross, these bestiality people and all this stuff, I'll tell you, they're going to pay. Because God requires atonement. God still requires atonement. They'll either cling to the Christ of Calvary and be saved or they'll be lost forever and wish they never spoke a, a word against the Christian or against his church or against the Bible. I'll tell you what, God pays back in proper and just ways. Often we don't because men, men, we're not men of justice often. But I'll tell you what, God is. And by the way, if you do little deeds for the Lord, the Bible says you cannot give a cup of water in His name and not receive a reward. You cannot do a little deed for some person. Amen. That's going to be remembered, Mrs. Bluehorn. That kindness you had for dirty, dirty people. That's good. God likes that. I said God likes that. He's not too happy with these people that are like the, some, uh, the, the Levites and the Pharisees who drive right by. He likes us to at least try to help people. At least want to do something for somebody. By the way, when, when the Lord came by, we weren't worth much of anything. We were despicable and dirty. But He said, I, I'm going to save them. Amen? I'm going to save them, and then I'm going to take care of them after I save them. I'm going to protect them all the way through. And maybe 40 or 50 years from now, I'll just judge some people for talking to that preacher or that Christian, that Christian sister in that nasty way. I'll take care of everything. By the way, God, I like what the old black preacher said. My God's up in heaven, and he's a writing all the time. He's got the record. God never forgets a thing. He knows the very, the Bible says he knows the, every hair on your head. George, they're, they're there. They're pretty short, but they're there. Can you imagine? He's got them all numbered. All the stars. He's named the stars. Isn't that a great God? You ever go up and look at the, the stars in heaven? I'll tell you another wonder, and we've got to finish up. Have you ever looked at these little things that move around? A little ant, and even smaller than an ant. And these things with these long legs, these insects, and God made every one of them. That's what you need to show to these scientists that think there is no God. They're crazy. They are. The God of this world, the devil's blinded them. Amen? They say that I just killed a bunch of things right there. Living organisms. 
I don't know anything about it. But I'll tell you, God says that a sparrow cannot even fall out of the heaven and God not know about it. And God feeds all these sparrows out here because He's a compassionate God. And He'll take care of us. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank Thee for Thy love. Thank Thee, Lord, for caring for us, being merciful to us. We deserve the judgment and wrath of God. But Thy good love and mercy and grace was bestowed toward me and toward all these that are now saved. And then, Lord, it's, it's, it's outstretched to any that might be here tonight and still outside of the ark of safety, still needing to know their sins are gone and to know and have that sweet assurance that heaven is their home. Our Father, we thank Thee for the good work of grace that's been done in our hearts. We thank Thee for Paul being here this morning and then staying for the service when he worked all night last night and just got to bed at 5 in the morning and yet he slept for a few hours and came with Nathan and Jody this morning. And dear Lord, he plans by Thy grace to join the church even. And dear Lord, we thank Thee for uh, and here he had to be back at work at 4 o'clock this afternoon for a whole night again of work. But we do thank Thee that he's off on Monday, tomorrow. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee for what You put in the hearts of people. Here he came right in his uniform, shows dedication and love for Thee. Thank Thee, Lord, for sending a dear boy like Paul by here. Dear Lord, we just thank Thee for some of these good men that You've sent this way. Dear Lord, work, we pray, in the hearts of Douglas and others, Lord, who are seeking Thy will. Oh, God, thank You for bringing these dear ones by. And then, as my wife said today, we thank Thee for our good people and how Thou hast given us many good and, and honest and, dear Lord, Bible reading and people that have personal and family devotions and faithful people that tithe and give of their means and their time and their life to Thee. Though many of them are in the army, still give their life to Thee. With all the demands, they're still as faithful as they can be with their duties. We praise Thee for that. Have Thy way. Give us thankful hearts, we pray.